You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to Beyond the Headlines with your host, veteran journalist, Darren Nichols. Welcome to Beyond the Headlines. I'm your host, Darren Nichols. Gentrification has been buzzing in the media for a while, particularly this week. Everything from the plaza at Hart Plaza or at uh, outside of the Coleman A. Young Municipal Center to the housing near the old Tiger Stadium has been discussed. And our guest today, Ingrid LaFleur, has begun putting the issue in our face with her exhibit called Manifest Destiny. It started with a billboard above the Queen's Bar in downtown Detroit. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Darren. Before we begin, um, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about um, the exhibit. Sure. My name is Ingrid LaFleur, and I am a curator, uh, sometimes artist, and I also work in blockchain technology. And I am most known for my love for Afrofuturism. I, I was asked by the Gallery Library Street Collective to create an exhibition. Uh, and so I decided to really focus on how Black bodies have always forged their own destinies, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of enslavement, regardless of um, racist policies, um, we will always create um, our world and our destiny based on our terms and our imagination. And I, I'm a friend of Alicia Wormsley. I used to live in Pittsburgh. Uh, and so when I found out about her billboard in Pittsburgh, of course, I was a big fan of it because it says there are Black people in the future. It's a nice, bold, clear statement um, that reaffirms um, Black people's existence in the past, present, and future. And uh, so when I was asked to do this exhibition, I definitely wanted to bring that um, billboard here. It did cause controversy in Pittsburgh. Um, People felt that it excluded other people, which isn't so. It's just asserting that Black people um, regardless of the oppression that we feel and the oppression that is um, attacking us constantly, uh, we will always forge our own futures. And I thought it would be a perfect place, um, downtown Detroit being a perfect place to, to assert this claim. Uh, downtown Detroit, um, for many Detroiters, um, has become... Um, Somewhat unwelcoming if you are a black person, even though the city is 85% black. Gentrification has definitely caused, uh, caused people to kind of grow distance from downtown Detroit. And so, you know, the, the billboard really does um, serve as a way of cleaning of the space, as a reminder to all these newcomers, newcomers who are coming to Detroit and droves, um, that there are black people here. You are in a black 
university and we're not going to go anywhere. Um, and that I'm hoping more than anything, it starts uh, a conversation. If a person has an issue with it, I hope that means they'll become more self-reflective about why do they have an issue with that billboard. But so far, we've only gotten just a bunch of love for the billboards. Okay. And so what sort of brought you into the space? What made you decide to tackle this issue, not only in uh, places like Pittsburgh, but um, in Detroit in particular? Well, as a... So as a curator of Afrofuturism, it's been very important for me to figure out what are the ways that we can radically decolonize our minds in order for us to attain true liberation. So Afrofuturism is a cultural movement that discusses uh, the Black experience using secular modalities like science fiction, fantasy, horror, magic realism, we look at uh, African mythologies and legends and um, the intersection of race and technology and science. Uh, and on, honestly, many people see it as a liberation movement. Aesthetically, people um, might be more familiar with it through the movie Black Panther. But it's been, it, was, uh, it was coined in uh, 1996. Um, by a cultural critic named Mark Theory, and it's been used to really identify absolute teachers' thinking um, throughout time. For instance, W.E.B. Du Bois created a science fiction short story called The Comet. Not many people know that. Uh, and, you know, other examples would be Sunron, Janelle Monet, Octavia, the writer Octavia Butler, um, are all Afrofuturists. My work has always been centered on liberating the black body. And, and that doesn't matter if I'm working within blockchain technology um, or if I'm working as a curator. I'm constantly thinking about what are the, um, what are the tools necessary to attain a freedom for our, especially our youth, to be able to imagine new worlds and new destinies. So with this exhibition, um, there will be, you know, beautiful work that is very aesthetically Afrofuturist in the way that we understand it um, in, in a more pop culture sense. Um, but that will also be balanced with artwork that's more nuanced, um, that will hopefully have people thinking a little bit deeper about what, how does Afrofuturism show up? What are the philosophies behind Afrofuturism? Um, so and since Afrofuturism is all about co-creation, collective work, cooperative economic, radical love, um, pleasure, um, which is often denied um, to Black bodies. Um, so all of these elements do come out in the artwork that people will see in Manifest Destiny. And, um, and I'm hoping that it will help people kind of change their relationship with black bodies because ultimately that's what needs to happen in the city of Detroit. We have a lot of people that are coming in um, that have 
um, been socialized to believe that black people are poor, dumb, or criminals, or dirty, and therefore our majority black city gets the same kind of stigma. Uh, so I really want people to create a new relationship to black bodies, to black people, to black culture, and to understand that it's not a monolith. Right. Um, the diver- right? And that beautiful diversity. And in doing so, and hoping when creating that that relationship, a new healthy relationship, I think that's when Detroit will actually prosper. Okay. And going, I want to go back a little bit because you you talked a little bit about um, the the billboard and um, the billboard that is here, um, but was taken in Pittsburgh. And you talked about the controversy in Pittsburgh. But I want you to go into a little mm-hmm. bit more depth as to why it was controversial in Pittsburgh and what exactly happened um, happened there. Yeah, so Alicia Wormsley um, put up the billboard um, and it was on top of the building that a, de- a developer wanted, wanted to um, have it removed. Uh, and they said that uh, it excluded other people. They even went so far to say it was um, anti-Semitic, hmm. uh, which is really painful um, because it's really just celebrating Black people. It is not in any way, shape, or form um, excluding other people, and uh, or is it anti-Semitic in any way, shape, or form? Right. Why, why did they say it was um, anti-Semitic? You know, I, I don't. We don't understand it. It's a very difficult thing, I think, even for the person who complains about the billboards to explain or articulate. I think, honestly, if a nation has dehumanized a group of people for hundreds of years, it might take a while for people to start humanizing them, sure. quite honestly. Sure. And, and so what happens, though, once the billboard was removed, People created yard signs and started putting it in their yard um, of the same, the exact same um, signs. And there are black people in the future. So you see that dotted all over Pittsburgh. And then I do think that another um, edition of the billboard went up in another place in, in Pittsburgh. So, you know, and this is not just black people, white people, and all people from different types of backgrounds in Pittsburgh only embrace this sentiment and uh, decided that it should continue on. So uh, that poor guy <laughs> um, who I, I, I think he's, I say this meaning that his limited thinking has him in prison and it's a shame. He, he needs, you know, to liberate and decolonize himself. Um, wow. But, you know, in his complaint, it actually kind of, planted seeds and it just made it spread even more <laughs> in Pittsburgh. And so we actually created yard signs here and we're selling our signs to support the Heidelberg Arts Leadership Academy. Okay. Um, we have a program where they're sending youth to Ghana and they've been trying to raise money for a long time. I'm a big proponent of people um, excuse me, of youth uh, traveling, number one, and then, of course, um, creating a, a healthy, uh, more realistic uh, relationship with Africa. Uh, we don't really 
have really good images and, and news coming from Africa and the United States, unfortunately. And so I'm excited about the youth going and um, hopefully expanding their world. And so I definitely wanted to support that program, always been figuring out how, and so now we're going to be selling it here at the expedition. Okay. Um, moving on to a slightly different topic. It's about gentrification, but um, I want to delve into what is going on in Detroit. I just I'm interested into your into your thoughts on gentrification here in Detroit and how it sort of compares to what has happened in D.C., in Harlem, Pittsburgh and other areas across the country. Oh, man. So Detroit, um, it's definitely similar, I think, in a lot of ways to those places that you, you listed, but it's also quite unique um, because uh, as a major city with the largest population of Black Americans, um, we're, I feel like, honestly, we're at war. <laughs> we have to fight on so many different levels um, just for a level of uh, just to be treated humanely, <laughs> quite honestly. Uh, so what's happening is that seems that the city, those in power are trying to make Detroit more palpable. Um, for white people because they are seen as more valuable. So as we all know, when white people move into a neighborhood, the value of that neighborhood goes up. One of the reasons is because they have capital and they have um, way more capital than, uh, than black people. So they're able to do more and to, do, to, to buy the house, to buy the land next to it, to renovate it. And... Um, and all of these things. So uh, I think, the, and, and we have to really acknowledge that it is the, um, the generational wealth gap um, that has caused uh, this, this kind of schasm where white people have the capital to do the thing where black people are struggling to, to keep the home that they're living in. So, um, so, in that, we're, we're now we're thinking about like foreclosures on people, um, the dismantling of communities, full on col- full on colonization of uh, of areas of the city, and at the exact same time, you know, where people are unemployed, uh, trying to work multiple jobs, uh, the schools are being closed in various neighborhoods. So they're being bused um, sometimes 40 minutes away from where they live, uh, which to me would cause a lot of stress and strain as a as a parent because they're making an assumption that they have the transportation if something an emergency happens they can go 40 minutes to, to see their child. Um, we're also dealing with water shutoff. Um, we have one of the highest water bills in the nation. Um, even though we're facing a 64% poverty rate if you have the working poor. With all of these combined, you know, it does always feel like you're fighting and you're, and you're trying to exist in this beautiful city. Um, 
and it's like people don't want you to exist here. They just don't want you to be here. You know, on other levels, you have people who you'll see it in Facebook complaining of people moving into their neighborhoods and won't even look at look them in the eye, won't say hello, because there's still a fear around black bodies. Sure. Um, so it's it's causing a lot. It's causing a lot of strain. It's becoming really intense, and we really have to um, kind of readjust in the correct course. Right. Uh, and but, in every way possible. But th- mm-hmm. there are two things that I want to kind of point out. Um, we, we have to keep in mind when we're talking about right now gentrification that's going on in Detroit, that is a very small population that is moving into Detroit itself. However, you have to look at what is going on in downtown Detroit and that it is being recreated um, for people who are middle class, so it's a classism issue um, that is going on here, um, as well as um, making a downtown that is palatable for people to work and play downtown, but they are not living in in these, they are not living in large, massive numbers in the, in the Detroit neighborhoods. They are moving here, but they are not moving here in mass numbers. And I think that is a, a distinct clarification between some of the other gentrification that's that has happened in other areas across the country, and we have to sort of put put it in the right context uh, as we discuss gentrification. Not that it may not end up that way, in that that folks come into the Detroit neighborhoods in mass numbers, but as it stands right now, there hasn't been a huge movement in terms of gentrification as well. Um, and so getting back to sort of what we were, were, were talking about, um, last week or recently, a couple weeks ago, it was a group of graffiti artists um, called the Grand River Creative Corridor um, and they were priced out of their space renting in Detroit. And so what does this say symbolically about what is going on? Because a, a part of what has happened um, in sort of this movement and this change in downtown Detroit or in Midtown is that you've had a number of um, businesses um, that have longtime businesses that have been in these areas that have been been moved out or been pushed out. Um, several bars have been moved in and pushed out. And so what does symbolically this sort of say about the Grand River Creative Corridor being priced out of the market uh, when they were renting in the city? Hmm. You know, uh, every city evolves and there's always going to be change. And I think that that's one thing that we have to be aware of. Um, I would hope that people create new mechanisms um, for the shift and the change. Uh, I was kind of disappointed in, in hearing about this story because um, if it's the same um, building that you're discussing, the people who bought it um, are very much social justice minded um, and did 
um, try to put certain mechanisms in place and telling them that they, you know, the, the tenants, they have to move. Um, I think it's a really, really tough thing. Uh, I just really, honestly, I'm looking at how can we, moving forward, own our own spaces. And that's really the only way to combat it all. Excuse me. <laughs> Um, it is the it's the only way that we can stabilize and make sure that um, that people don't get pushed out. It it has been alarming to find out that a lot of the institutions like restaurants that I support and, and various spaces all of this time never purchased or were able to purchase um, the building in which they're residing, and so now. Um, they're getting um, priced out. So I think um, that is one way to do it is to make sure that we have um, more diversity in development, um, that we have more um, developers who are more social justice oriented and to try and figure out what are the best ways to grow and expand and have you know, new things, nice things to come into the city without that really um, causing harm to who's already here. It really should be a mix. And I think most people want that mix. They want a little bit of the, the old and the familiar. And we also want the new and exciting. Um, so, and we want that new and exciting to be welcoming at the exact same time. So, you know, for me, I'm constantly thinking about, okay, moving forward, what what can we do to stabilize so we're not running into this issue yet again? Because this is not necessarily the first time. And nor will it be the last time. Sure. I mean, and, and I think what you mentioned earlier in terms of ownership is very key. Because if you own the building that you're working in, if you own or the the space that you are you have decided to put your business in. If you own your home, um, you can't get pushed out. You can't get moved away outside of selling it um, yourself. Um, you can't be pushed out of an area that you already own. And I think that is where we have fallen short. Is that. There were a lot of businesses for a number of reasons, and and it's not their fault. Don't 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 misunderstand what I'm saying. Um, mm-hmm. That um, had to move out of the space they they were in because they were renting. Um, there are a lot mm-hmm. of people in Detroit that are moved out of their homes because they are renters in their homes, mm-hmm. or or mm-hmm. or they got a bad mortgage or a you know, um, a double reverse mortgage and, and all of these things that are going on that bring about this change. And so um, I think what you said in terms of, of ownership is very, very key. Um, and so as we're talking about this gentrification issue, where do you see Detroit heading? Where are we, where is Detroit moving in terms of this particular issue and is is this just a phenomenon is this just a scare tactic is this just something that some of the powers that be want other people that don't read 
that don't know census numbers, that don't see what's going on, understand um, the changes that are coming and that the change is really in bringing um, new bars and new restaurants in downtown and growing that area um, and that you tried to build LCA, but but non-people of color are not coming downtown to watch the Pistons, right? They're coming to the Red Wings game still, but they're not, but, but attendance for the Pistons are still down. And so where do you see this issue going moving forward? Well, if we look at D.C., for instance, where the the, <clears throat> the percentage of uh, Black people living in the city has dropped, um, if we stay on the road that we're on, we're probably going to go in that same direction. We've already dropped um, to 85%, and it's going to just probably keep dropping. Uh, I don't... Um, a part of me, you know, is really concerned about that because I, I am living in Detroit because it is a majority black city and majority of color city, and so I feel safe this here. And safe in the sense of I can express myself, I can be who I am, who I want to be. Uh, but uh, at the same time, I don't want this city to just become yet again another white, a majority white American city. Um, that does not appeal to me in any way, shape, or form. And I've, I've lived in majority white cities before. Culturally, I just prefer majority um, black or majority of color. I live in Miami, so. Um, I think we, there's so many different types of people here. Um, there's Detroiters are diehard. <laughs> um, the ones who haven't left, you know, during the really harshest moments are probably not going to leave now. So what will happen is that there will be just a, a key um, the, the white population in terms of the influx of people moving to the city is rising every single year. So more than anything, we can't necessarily stop that, um, but it's more about making sure that people are respectful of the people who are here and engage and participate in the cultures that are already here um, instead of trying to change it and whitewash it and sterilize it. Um, I really do want more people to explore the rest of the city. Uh, I, I feel like people just kind of like people like to stay in downtown Detroit or Midtown and Quirktown, and that's it because that's where majority white people are. <laughs> and I understand, you know, when uh, as a, a quote-unquote minority uh, living in other cities, you do tend to want to live amongst your own. Um, but Detroit is unique, and I think that it's a missed opportunity if you're not experiencing the whole city. I think the future is what we make it. It's really hard to predict at this moment. Um, there are a lot of new things happening, a lot of changes. Um, as many white people are coming in, there are good groups of black people coming in, black people who are professionals with capital who want to do work. And a lot, a good portion of my friends who are Black are not from Detroit. They're from Mississippi. They're from Alabama. They're from all over who just fell in love with the city and came to move here. So, you know, 
it's unique in that way. It's attracting more Black people to an already majority Black city. I think others see this as, you know, and I've always seen Detroit as that Afro-global hub within the United States. Um, but we, we will see what the future holds. I think, if anything, if we want it to look a particular way, we have to be very proactive in, in that. <laughs> sure. Whatever that is. Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, as we sort of wrap up, um, give me your final thoughts on everything that we sort of talked about today. Um, anything that uh, I missed that you wanted to discuss, as well as where people can see your exhibit and give us all of your uh, pertinent information so people can catch up with you and and check out, check out your exhibit. Yes. So the exhibit, Manifest Destiny, will be opening on Saturday, July 20th from 6 to 8. From 8 to 10, we're going to have performances in the belt. I enlisted uh, artist and curator Lady Phoenix um, to bring a portion of her exhibition from the Museum of the African Diaspora in San Francisco. This artwork, all of it in the belt, will be, um, it's all augmented reality. And there's five panels. So that will be really fun for, I'm hoping people will participate and enjoy the augmented reality uh, the performances that we will have from 8 to 10, it includes Tunde Oran, who's a well-known Afrofuturist musician, uh, Bryce Detroit, uh, another well-known Afrofuturist, and Kesla. And, uh, and, you know, there will be also programming throughout um, August. Uh, and you can find all of that information on lsbgallery.com. And if you want to learn more about me, you can go to my website, ingridlefleur.com. And yeah, okay. we're all over Facebook, we're all over social media. Uh, I really want, you know, people to uh, hopefully have a really, really good time, number one. But then also learn more about Afrofuturism and how it shows up in the different ways that it can challenge and offer new um, new approaches to to resolving that which has been um, colonizing us and oppressing us. Okay. And your final thoughts on everything that we talked about today? I just believe that more than anything, it's really important for us to focus on gaining the skills and the knowledge to forge the destinies that you want. Um, I'm not a person who wants to sit and complain for too long. What are we going to do? And what is the strategy behind that? And I'm always trying to offer it in different ways. And I, I really encourage other people to do the same. It's, it's no longer useful to sit back and just plant seniors. Let's get up in the mix. And, uh, and so this billboard is part of that, me being proactive, claiming space, reminding Black people they are not alone downtown Detroit, and also reminding those who are visiting us 
and those who are moving here, um, that Black people will be not only in the future, but we will be thriving prosperously. Okay. Well, thank you for taking time out and, and speaking with us today. And before I sign off today on, on this show, I just want to remind Detroiters that this is your city. Um, and as your city, you should participate in everything that, that is in and around your city. It is your tax dollars that are paying for uh, LCA. It is your tax dollars that are helping to put in all of the buildings that Dan Gilbert has decided to invest in Detroit. It is your tax dollars that are tearing up medians in on Livernois in Detroit. There, there are your tax dollars that's going to do remediation at Kettering High School in order for an auto supplier to come into uh, that space. Your Detroit is still you. It may be different in what it may be. It may be perceived. Belle Isle may be different in how it's perceived. The Riverwalk may be different in how it's perceived, but it is still Detroit's city. And as a Detroiter, you should participate in what is going on in Detroit. And for that, that ends this edition of Beyond the Headlines. Until next week. As we leave Beyond the Headlines, I want to give our listeners an inspirational quote for you guys to ponder each week as you get ready for the new show. It's from Dr. Martin Luther King. It reads, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. Until next time, we'll see you on Beyond the Headlines. Thank you.